first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is still somewhere tweeting and missing me. So I'm joined by his favorite Canadian, Andrew Ross Sorkin of The Good Hair, uh, also New York Times columnist and editor, co-anchor of Squawk Box and author of Too Big to Fail. Andrew, how are you? I'm great, but we still have never got into the bottom of this whole Canadian thing. Do I we even know. know? Do I we know, know where that's from? It okay. was probably some ayahuasca moment, and he just decided. He has a massive crush on you, like a ma- kind of creepy, it's, honestly. It's, it's mutual, by the way. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Don't. I, don't. Don't I am. That. Okay. He, he knows. His, his, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm just happy to sit in his in his seat yes. and keep it warm. Yes, but he's keep like it, deeply, he thinks I'm trying out hosts to replace him, and that is, in fact, true. I, I you know. saw that. Com- I saw that commercial for Pivot. I also saw his other commercial, frankly. Yes, so I know. I know, I know that. He, he at any moment Scott might cancel himself. That is correct, and deservedly so. Um, I would defend him on that. He so, could do it. So this wants. is a tryout, then? Okay. No, it is. Of um, course, it is. Um, but uh, I like to like bother him with people like Preet. I had George. I have George Hahn. I've got some others. So uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. Let's see how he behaves. No, I really do miss him. But let's not tell him that. So let's get on to the stories because there's so much to talk to you about, particularly. Um, so a couple of things we're just going to talk about just briefly. Uh, TikTok is partnering with Shopify to strengthen its e-commerce yep. ties. This is a thing that they had talked about when Trump was trying to do whatever he was trying to do with it, to 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 link it with Walmart and stuff like that. So Shopify vendors with TikTok accounts can now add shopping tab to their profiles. What do you think about this? Because this is uh, this has been discussed many times. This is a, a Instagram is a platform that does this too. This this is the only way that that. TikTok is ever going to get to the same place as Instagram slash Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, this is, this is um, I don't know if this is the holy grail for them or not, but given that they don't really have a backend platform like this, given that Facebook effectively does, to mm-hmm. some degree, already provide these services, I think this is what, this is what you would do yeah. if you were them. Shopify and you is di- an interesting and you choice. Didn't, and you didn't want to build it yourself. Right, right. So, right. And and I think it also speaks volumes about Shopify. I mean, the growth of Shopify in the past eighteen months is insane. Well, not being in Amazon's a big deal. Being an alternative to Amazon, right? They're not going to sign up with Amazon here. They didn't want to do it with Walmart. You know, it's kind of interesting in that regard. But I'm gonna. I will make one point about this because okay. I know that you and Scott talk about Amazon all the time, yeah. and potentially Amazon is a monopoly all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I say to anybody who who says Amazon's a monopoly, I say. Shopify. Right. Tell me how Shopify could have a hundred billion dollar plus valuation at the same time that Amazon is somehow absolutely. But that's two. Okay, that's two. We're talking about sort of the decimation of other. No, I know, but everybody, but but everybody thinks that Amazon has somehow quashed all sorts of innovation. And I look at Shopify and I say that that's 
th- that is the the opposite side of that argument. Yeah, Andy Jassy should send a fruit basket to Shopify. We off to Toby at Shopify. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there has to be an alternative, and there's a good business in being the alternative, right? Like Microsoft with Apple and this, and you know, Apple. So the real question though is, do you believe that Shopify is the alternative, or you think that Walmart is the alternative? I, I think Walmart has struggled and struggled and struggled for many years, and I have a lot of regard for. Well, good example, Doug uh, McMillan. You may have been there. Was it Code a couple of years ago? Yep. And he he talked about a ten thousand square foot store that you looked at things and then ordered them and they were delivered to your home instead of their two hundred thousand, one hundred eighty thousand square foot stores. And it was nobody paid attention, but I had covered retail for years. So I was like, this is a big deal. What this guy just said. They didn't do it. And Amazon is now doing Amazon Freshes all over my neighborhood right. in D.C. They're doing the small, the goes, the freshes, the possible department stores. This was an idea that it's not a fresh new idea necessarily. And if you're dug on a day like mm-hmm. this past week when this announcement got made, are you saying I lost it? I don't know where this- they weren't. They had it. Why didn't they do it? Like, that's the thing. Like, they had been, I, I'm doing a memoir, as your wife is my agent, actually, um, uh, on on the on the stuff. And I look back old stories. My old story is right. about Walmart taking over everything, right? Killing off yep. Garfinkel. So, I don't know. Interesting time. I don't know. I only, I only say that because you thought that Microsoft and you thought Microsoft and Walmart were going to come together and do that as part of the Trump thing, as you mentioned. And, and then they didn't, didn't happen. And here we are. Yeah. yeah. So Airbnb says it's funding uh, housing for 20,000 Afghan refugees around the world. Again, this is something Brian Chesky's done several times around right. uh, Charlottesville. He's done it around all kinds of stuff. He goes out on a limb progressively in this area. It's also a good brand attribute. Uh, what do you think about that? I think for the brand of Airbnb, it is another masterstroke uh, for Brian. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I'm sure it does not ingratiate himself with Kevin McCarthy and, uh, and Republicans uh, who seem to be so insistent that that these refugees, uh, you know, either aren't refugees or somehow should never come to America or should not be, you know, given a home, which I think, as you probably can imagine, is ridiculous. Yeah, but we left them behind, you know. Just so you know, just that they, they, I, I heard. I, I heard that. Uh, I, the, I don't. I don't all know of it. What, what news channel you're re- you're watching? But yeah. yes. <laughs> so this is so, a good yeah, thing for if them. If you're to Brian, do. it's. I, I think I think Brian has staked out a a place in the United States and globally around being this progressive brand, and I think that attracts people to the brand. I think the complicated part for Brian is going to be over time, you know which landmine you try to avoid and which landmine you accidentally step on. Yeah. Uh, they're involved, by the way, with the Olympics mm-hmm. uh, now. They're going to be a sponsor in China mm-hmm. uh, this winter. Yeah. I think that's actually going to be complicated. So, it is. Right? Because here, here on one side, you're going to be, uh, you know, working with, with Afghan refugees, which I think is a, a, a marvelous thing. But the same people who believe that are going to say, Brian, how can you therefore yep. be involved with China? Yep, 100%. I mean, like all these businesses. But at the same time, like there, there's no negative to saying we're going to fund Afghan refugees for them. And by the way, Nazis aren't allowed to stay with us. It's it's, it's kind of a good brand attribute. But you're right. It's, it's I think it's a great brand attribute until you believe that there is some senator, congressperson or somebody else on the other side of this argument who says, you know, we're going to tax these people. We're going to regulate Airbnb because we yeah, hate good them. I mean, you remember what they did in in in, in Georgia mm-hmm. to Delta Airlines yep. um, over some of these issues in they terms tried. of they, they actually they tried but they cost them some that cost them some real money that was real money that I was real know. tax I think dollars it, so, I think Delta looked good in that one yeah but you're right you're I thought right. Delta it's looked a, fabulous but it's an impact and so this is that's the part you know right now I think pro- progressive politics or some semblance of progressive politics are popular 
and popular enough. The question is what happens over time and does well, it's it got to stick with your ways? brand. Look, Patagonia just did it again and it does it again and again. And I, it's, it's been nothing but net for them in terms of people wanting, you yes. know, their most recent things. So I don't know. I feel like it's, if you stick to it and he keeps doing it, it's, I think it's probably a good thing. So last thing, uh, Disney, speaking of people fighting with politicians, Disney, last one was Delta. You mentioned that and Patagonia, obviously. Disney Cruise Line announced that it will require vaccination proof from all passengers above the age of 12 from Florida to the Bahamas. This goes against DeSantis' ban on vaccine passports. Disney is a big player in Florida. This is a, what is it? I don't know what it is, a shot across, but whatever how you can you lose? Who's got, let's think about this. Who's got the leverage, DeSantis or, or Disney? Disney. Disney. Disney not only has the leverage because of their size, because the number of people they employ in Florida. I mean, the whole, DeSant, Disney should be, should be the governor of Florida at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So what, why do they just were like, screw you, DeSantis. They that, this is a big deal. Disney doing this. The other cruise lines did it in the little bits and were sort of got attacked by DeSantis. But if, you know, now he's got to attack Disney, which is, I think, he, he can't attack Disney in the same way he couldn't attack those school districts that were saying you got to wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. What does that put DeSantis at? What does it do when he's, when, when all these businesses are going up against, I saw Christy Gnome's one last night, which I thought was rather clever. Actually, she's sort of the smarter DeSantis. She's like, we're for business freedom and we may not agree, but they should do what they want. Like she was, she was fascinating in her little. Well, look, can you be a Republican who believes in free markets and then tell a company that they can't require their employees to do certain things? Yeah. Yeah, she's she threads she threaded that needle. He's an oaf. He looks like an oaf, and I think he's really hurt his. Prospects. And then the other question is: Is DeSantis playing to be the governor again in Florida, or is the DeSantis playing to be on the national stage in a different way? In which case, the audience becomes quite different. I suppose. I just think it's. I think he looks like an oaf. I think he. Look, I think Disney fighting with Disney and fighting with businesses is a real problem. All right, let's go on to big stories. OnlyFans, this is a big story. You're very interested in this. A reverse I love course. this story okay. for so many I reasons. cannot wait. Let me just fill people in on it. Reverse course on its plan to ban sexually explicit content. This is your sex workers. The company created quite a stir with the creator uh, economy last week when it said it would ban sexually explicit content because of restrictions from banking partners. I, I feel like it may have been a faint. Anyway, less than a week later, OnlyFans announced it was suspending the policy change that had, quote, secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community, which means from banks or whatever. So tell, explain this. What's the game plan? Why did it reverse? Uh, okay, so what's going on? Okay, I love this story, not because of the porn side. I want to be clear mm -hmm. with you about that. Scott I, might have a different view about that, but I'm, I'm not Scott. Yeah, I'm not Scott. I love this story because it speaks to freedom of speech. It fr speaks to monopolistic uh, potentially practices or um, power among the financial universe in terms of the banks, mm -hmm. uh, whether that was an excuse or not, we can get to. And it speaks to this idea of empowering the creator community, uh, even if it means you're naked. Yeah. Which to me is unto itself a fascinating sort of component part of all this. Yeah. So, we are pro-sex workers here at Pivot, but go ahead, keep going. Well, Certain so it's, no, but, and this is what's so interesting. By the yeah. way, I will say there has been a shift at least online, if you spend time on Twitter mm -hmm. enough, in terms of support for sex workers mm -hmm. in a way that they were not being supported only a week ago. Yeah. So all of a sudden, sex workers became creators. I thought yeah. that as yeah. just a 
it was a little bit of a this mind blowing. This was a big part moment. of this this company's business, right? So, what do you think actually huge happened part, behind the scenes? Because huge part of this, I actually do believe it was the banks. I I don't think that that was a a head fake at all. I think that that banks over the past year, uh, you you saw it happen. Mm-hmm. Actually, Nick Kristof, uh, our colleague at the New York Times, mm-hmm. deserves a lot of credit for uh, putting pressure on the credit card companies yep. to abandon uh, sites like Pornhub and and other sites yep. uh, like that. Uh, I think that some of the banks took a, took a, a new look at it. I think some of the credit card companies took a, a different look at it. In this case, it wasn't the credit card company. So there's there's two pieces. Of this. There's the Rails, the Mastercards mm-hmm. and Visa. They were not the ones that were having the problem. It's the underwriters. So the people when you get a credit card, right. you don't just get a Visa card. You get a, a Visa card from Blank. Chase yep. or whom, wherever. And it was some of those banks that were saying we don't want to process these types of purchases. Partially from a reputational perspective, one of the other reasons, by the way, historically banks have not wanted to process uh, these types of transactions is how often um, they they get a phone call later from somebody, including parents and other things, saying this was not an authorized uh, oh, sale. Yes. You now you need to now send it back to us. So there was a, there's actually a higher risk that for them that it's a teen or something like that. Yeah, that it's it's a stolen credit card. That there's a, a fake something. That right. there's a kid doing it. Right. All sorts of, of things. My so mind immediately a, went to my son, teenage sons. But go ahead. But this but this is exactly why yeah. banks don't like processing um, these well, types of transactions. So that part, from just an economic yeah, I did, perspective, I did an makes interview sense. with the head, the bango when he was leaving Mastercard, and he yep. I, I can't tell you the the sex workers came down on him and me for just even talking about it. And obviously, Nick Kristoff on these things said we were you know trying to inhibit a sex and this and that. And it was a really interesting experience doing that. Um, what did they, what, what, but why did they reverse if they said they were going to do it? What was, what, did suddenly- Well, from the- my understanding of it, and, and uh, you know, there's probably more reporting to do. I think that they, there are some banks that will, will transact for you that mm-hmm. make it a lot easier. I think they have probably found some, some of those. I also think there were some banks that didn't think about sex workers as Content part of the- creators. content creators or the creator community or the creator economy. And so I think that's a bit of a a mind shift that's taking place in in the finance industry. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there's another component part of this, which is that uh, banks are increasingly nervous that regulators are going to look at them as having too much power. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm somebody who's been writing for years uh, less about how banks could impact the sex work industry and more about how banks could impact the gun industry. So uh-huh. I've advocated in, in a bunch of columns over the past couple of years and sort of exposed the idea and opportunity yeah. that banks could have to control uh, the, the gun industry, something that you talked uh, to MasterCard uh, mm-hmm. about guns and other things as well that they don't want to do. They They don't don't. want to do it for political reasons because what they don't want to do, this goes back to where we were talking about DeSantis in Florida and and all sorts of other things. They don't want, or Delta, they don't want politicians to say, okay, we're going to regulate you now. Okay, you don't don't want want to uh, either loan money to that person or provide them with credit because you don't like that kind of thing. And so this is, this is to me, this is like a microcosm of all of these issues in one, well, here's what's interesting. One, two things. One is this idea that you that you know that content creators are of all kinds, shapes, and sizes, right? And so, what do the what do these sex workers deserve in terms of service and protections, like labor protections and things like that, like you're an Uber driver or anything else? 
And on the flip side, and I'd love you to talk about it because I interviewed Ashton Kutcher and uh, Julie uh, uh, yep. Cordova yesterday from Thorn about this Apple thing, which has attracted a lot of controversy. And it's reported that Facebook accounts for nearly five, 95% of online child exploitation reports. That's because they actually track them. Apple hadn't until recently. Um, so, uh, or that not that much. Um, so when you think about the, these these banks also, because we, we talk about social networks being social arbiters, you know, right. of, of things. And we force them into it. We get angry with them. They have anti-vax or whatever that happens to be the problem of the day. These banks are in a much more, you know, and you notice that with the January 6th thing when I did that parlor interview, they yep. all threw them off suddenly because he said some things they didn't like. So where does that put these banks? They, they kind of have no choice, right? Well, so I think that the banks are like platforms. Right. And yes, you can de-platform somebody. Mm -hmm. A bank has every right to take a customer or not take a customer. The only thing you cannot do is do it in a discriminatory way. You cannot effectively discriminate against quote unquote protected classes. Mm -hmm. But you can decide I'm not that, doing sex you know, workers or whatever. I'm not doing sex workers or I'm not doing that. And by the way, there are a lot of folks who've decided they don't want to be in certain businesses. So Stripe, and mm -hmm. I give them a lot of credit on guns or other things where they say, we just don't transit, we don't, we don't transact guns. That's mm -hmm. not our business. Mm -hmm. Apple. We don't do that. That's not the, the way we're approaching this. By the way, Apple, and we can have lots of debates about their, their quote unquote walled garden, mm -hmm. right? They decide what, there's, they're not doing sex work apps right. uh, on right. their platform, yep. right? Yep. And do we think that's terrible? I mean, maybe we do. I mean, this goes back to the whole sort of power dynamic and, and, who, and whether you think that, that these sites should have the control that they do. I am a believer that customers buy products from companies based on what you think they stand for, what they mean. Mm -hmm. This goes, now we're talking about, we go back to Brian and yeah. Airbnb or Patagonia. Or Disney. And I think that's totally fine. Yeah. Now, if they're all colluding together to to say, you know what, no bank or no wants platform- Wants to do sex workers or guns. Wants or to do sex workers. And they're talking to each other and saying, we're all going to do this together- Arguably, that's a problem. So when you think about this, when you think about the, the banks going back and forth on OnlyFans, one of the things OnlyFans had said last week, I believe, is that they couldn't raise venture money. I can't believe right. venture capitalists have, have the lowest bar in the planet. I mean, it's lower than the lowest spot on this earth. So I don't think that Andreessen Horowitz is getting into the sex worker business anytime soon. Sure, I mean, I think most of the- Is that the, really the, true? The, they can't find money. There's money like, there's not enough rat holes to shove down all the money available to the, a lot of these startups. And if it's especially lucrative, there's always someone who's going to pony up. Do a SPAC. I think that there's Corn some. SPAC. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe there is. But by the way, there's less bank. So this is interesting. There's probably not a bank in town right now yeah. that would take your company public if you were uh, only um, fans, yeah. doing doing this kind of thing. So there's also the argument to say that from a business perspective, long-term value creation as a platform that actually being a quote straight platform, for lack of a better yeah. <laughs> phrase, uh, or 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 let, let's call it. Uh, sex worker free mm -hmm. might actually be a better business but model not. long term. Let me term. just say, I'm going to make the opposite. Look at Tumblr. It was bought for a billion dollars by Marissa yep. Mayer, and then it was sold for like three dollars. You and I could have bought Tumblr at the end, yep. right? So look, that was a heavy duty. That was a lot going on there. Um, and so they lost all their value. That was there. And the same thing with OnlyFans. I think people know this for what it is, you know, especially during the pandemic, it got bigger. I think this is what they're married to and they have to but, figure but out But maybe a way there through. was a bit, but I would say, and maybe you can't pivot, pivot, here we are on pivot. Yeah. Could you pivot the business model? To I don't know. And maybe you'd want to try to pivot the business model because 
Look, my kids are too young, though, and who knows? Maybe they are on this stuff, and I don't know. And, and mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm praying that I'm keeping an eye on all this stuff. But I wouldn't want them on OnlyFans, right? Right, because I know what's on there. Even if they told me what they were really trying to go get, go find was something else, right? Right, right. And but- so maybe there's a bigger art, bigger. There's a bigger Tam. I hate Tam, but there's a bigger Tam if there's no sex workers on the on the platform. Presumably, but again, look. Every the, the minute they take them off, they run smack into TikTok. They run smack into other creator platforms. Right. And there's like a new creator platform every five minutes, and so I think this differentiates them. And it's just I'd love to understand what happened behind the scenes. Like here, they they got a bank or someone to do it, just the way Parler got someone to do their tech after they got dumped yep. by a bunch of people. There's always someone lining up. Anyway, this is a really interesting. We're going to keep watching this. It's a fascinating area. But you're right. People are really suddenly very pro sex workers. Like, how dare they not let them do that, create that online? It's Hugh Hefner would, would would love what's happening. Hugh Hefner, oh, whatever. Hugh All right. Hefner would love what's happening. Yep. Andrew, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the New York Times profile and investment mogul Kathy Wood and take a listener mail question. Andrew, we're back with our second big story. This is an area I'd really like to understand from you. This is a phenomenon. This this particular investor is. The New York Times published a profile detailing the rise and success of Kathy Wood, the Wall Street vet and founder of ARK Invest. The profile titled God, Money, YOLO, How Kathy Wood Found Her Flock, starts with a bullish her bullish stance on Tesla um, explains how it helped build her strange alliance with a new generation of risky traders. She's she's really popular. I'd been aware of this. She started ARK Investment in January 2014. The firm invests solely on disruptive innovation. I have to tell you, so many people are, have a target on her. Um, it's She's a fascinating character. Tell, tell us about her and what you think about this strategy to be as transparent as possible uh, with her investments and her decisions. Okay, so I've I've known Kathy Wood for quite some time. We've interviewed her on Squawk Box, actually, uh, more times than I can remember. And I will will tell you, especially early on, I thought that she was a bit crazy. I did not, I I didn't get the joke. Define Uh, crazy, why is that? Tell me why that is. She would come, she would come on and tell us that, you know, Tesla was going to the moon mm-hmm. and, you know, she would set these price targets, which seemed completely unreasonable at the time. Yeah. It seems very and, Henry Blodge at Amazon. 19- and she had, she had lots of, um, math, which didn't, at least to me, particularly make a lot of sense. I know I get a lot of, uh, you know, feedback on Twitter saying, you know, how is this person on TV saying these things? None mm-hmm. of this, none of this makes any sense. And yet, to a large degree, at least temporarily, and we we won't know whether it's temporary or forever. Mm-hmm. She's been right, yeah. Which is to say that Tesla's gone up. She be, she was an early uh, believer in Bitcoin, she was indeed. and and so many other parts of this, as you described, YOLO economy. And so she clearly tapped into something, and not just tapped into the right stocks to buy, but also how to communicate with this sort of new generation of social media-driven Robinhood trader. And so she's attracted a ton of money into her her funds. And as a result, literally when she puts out, you know, um, a statement saying we bought X at the end of the day, 
there are people who are literally, some people just own her fund, but there's a lot of other just straight up copycats. Yeah, because she's very transparent about her investments, which is usually not what these people do. They'll say even one thing and do another, sort of. Like, it's essentially an episode of Speaking of Andrew Ross Sorkin. No, no, but what's so interesting about the idea of the transparency is, thus far, the transparency has worked, meaning... Every time she says she's buying something, people copy it and, and because it's working, mm-hmm. right? Um, the flip side can also be true, which is to say that when someone makes a trade, makes it public, when it's public, sometimes there, there are people who then decide yep. that they want to take the opposite side of the trade. That is not happening in this instance because so far in this, at least the past 18, 24, whatever months. Yeah, she's killing it. You know, everything's working. Yeah. So what, what, when you have potential risky, it's obviously riskier investing. Um, yes. How should they think about when they're following her investment strategy? Look, I don't want to offer investment advice. The only thing I'd say is diversifying matters. And so if you have all your, your, your eggs in the, in the Kathy Woods basket, uh, that, and, and, you, and you're, you're trying to make sure that you're diversifying your risk, that's not probably the best idea in the world. Um, having said that, if you want to gamble on if, if you want to gamble on gamble. this sort of YOLO economy. Heavy word. That's, YOLO, no, but that's Andrew, what it is. What do you think of YOLO. YOLO? What do you think of YOLO? I mean, it kind of I think shows the stock market is kind of a gamble. We are a in a YOLO moment. Right. The question is, is this a tulips Have moment? Have we always been We're, in a YOLO moment? And just the very powerful people know that and we didn't? All us chumps? Ooh, I don't think so, actually. I think that we're in a YOLO moment because you can get money from effectively the government via the banks for next to nothing right now. Mm -hmm. The stimulus money was thrown around. There were a lot of people hanging around uh, during uh, during COVID, stuck inside. So they had nothing to do but basically gamble and trade. And that's what they've they've wanted to do. And now that we've we're, we've sort of lived through a pandemic, hopefully coming out on the other side, but but who knows where we really are. I think there is a YOLO sense of, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to start spending money because who knows the next time I'm going to have the opportunity right. to. So all of that. Now, the question is, can you create a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And that's, yeah. to me, the interesting part of it. If, if everyone just spends all their money all the time, that's if great. Because YOLOing, then, in other words. If, if everyone YOLOs, can you just YOLO. keep building a persistent... YOLO economy. Right. So the New York Times profile found she manages nearly $85 billion, which is up from less than $10 billion at the end of 2019. First of all, where's her money coming from? And, you know, this knowing her trails are fun, are are trailing the overall market this year. I know you don't want to give investment advice, but what, what typically happens here? There's, there've been popular, who was the last popular person like her? There was another investor that then sort of hit the skids and this and that. I mean, obviously every investor hits the skids at some point. Um, but what, what do you, well, what look, is the, I mean, Bill why Miller, is it, why, who is going you know, into for these many funds? years was, yeah. well, right now it appears that it is a younger generation of trader of, of Robin Hood mm-hmm. investor. Um, but there are, there's some institutional money in these things now. I mean, it's not all just straight retail, but, but the interest around her is 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 mostly retail. Okay. And the question is, this time around, is retail somehow smarter than what used to be described as yeah. the smart money? It used to be that the retail was the dumb money. Dumb money. The institutions were the smart money. Yeah. So has that, you know, is GameStop and AMC somehow changed that dynamic? Yeah. I happen to think it probably hasn't long term, but boy has it short term. Yeah. Yeah. You can make some money. So who does she compare to? Can you think about? And then I have one more question on her. I mean 
who does she compare to? There, was there a character like her? Like, look, you you work on billions. Is there you have a Kathy Wood oh, character it, on billions? Is there a character? Is there a character in this day and age? I'm thinking. I, I'm actually thinking, and we could probably do this together. Mm-hmm. Back in the late '90s, mm. who do you think were those Henry types Blodgett of characters? He didn't. I mean, Henry didn't have his own fund. No, he didn't. But, but he remember that. But Henry call. was a believer in this stuff. Mary Meeker. Henry's a little bit more circumspect today. Mary Meeker, though, I would say that Mary's been. I mean. Mary was both. She this was, was a real so interesting. Of this, yeah. But she was right. She was right. Turned wrong. Turned right again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think she had so, an overall thesis and much more conservative. But the, both of them had the overall thesis of the growth of the internet. I think nobody understood like the, what the pandemic would do, especially this particular go round. Um, but right. I, I think, yeah, I suppose Henry, Henry would. But do I would it. also say that there's one different insight that Kathy Woods has had here that actually is to me interesting. And it relates to Tesla, but it relates to maybe some of these other meme stocks as well, which is that it's not just the business model that has to be scalable. It's the ability to get new capital that has to be scalable. And that if you can effectively continue to get new capital, you can almost create your own self-fulfilling prophecy of success, right? Right, okay. And that right. that is actually an insight that most investors have thus far completely missed. I see. That's a really smart one. Who's coming after her? That's my last question. I mean, because like, it looks like people are coming after her, but they don't see, you know, I was just, again, I was doing this research for my book and, you know, remember David Rocker was all after AOL a hundred years ago? Like he was sort of correct, but he was not correct, if that makes sense. He was technically correct. I just think like the classic Wall, the, the classic Wall Street banks, the classic hedge fund managers that Anybody who believed in sort of Graham Dobb or, or sort of Warren Buffett, anyone who believes in sort of these classic models looks at Kathy Woods and they turn up their nose and they say, this is ridiculous and I don't get it. And what is she doing? And, you know, she's some kind of Pied Piper. That's what they think. Now, they're thinking that while she's laughing, you know, all the way to the bank yeah. and they're not. Yeah. I'm going to have her on Sway. At the moment. Having Kathy Wood on Sway. All right, Andrew, let's pivot to a listener question. Roll tape. You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You've got mail. Hey, Kara, and maybe Scott, if he's done gallivanting around the world. Steven Spiker here, pediatric oncologist by training, now working in health tech. With the recent and not surprising dismantling of Google Health, it has all of us working in health tech asking the question, if a company like Google can't cut it in healthcare, then who is actually capable of innovating in the space where there is such intense need for innovation? Appreciate any insights. Well, this is an interesting story. You know, I, both Andrew and I are long enough covering this to have watched Google at this several times. And I, I, I literally started researching and I'd forgotten all the things they had done with their, and then Microsoft yep. with Vault and it just has gone on and on and on. So what Stephen's referring to is Google Health's vice president, David Feinberg's departure from the company. Feinberg will be joining Cerner, an electronic health records company in October. There's a lot of that going on, electronic health records. And there's, there's several companies that are Epic, I think is yep. one and some others. So health tech is still something to be bullish on. Scott always says investors should be looking for every opportunity to get between the intersection of technology and healthcare. But but uh, but Stephen's right, uh, Andrew. According to a report by Deloitte, investors dumped around $22 billion into digital health companies in 2020. That's more than double the investments made in 2019. Everyone's hope, like as with climate change, everyone's hoping for the big moment. And Google, Microsoft, Apple have not been as successful. What do you think? Well, I'm going to push back and say, have they not been successful? I would argue Apple, for example, with with the the iWatch has actually 
yep. changed the dynamic in a material way. Now, have they changed it in, in, a, in a monetary material way yet? I don't know. I wear an aura ring. Um, I just mm -hmm. used a Q Health uh, testing um, device to test my daughter for COVID. She's negative, happily. Uh, mm -hmm. That device, I think, long term is not only going to be testing for COVID, but next time we think that's this isn't a rapid test. I used an Illum rapid test the other day because I was near a COVID person, so I took no. This I is a it, this is a um, effectively the equivalent of a PCR test that you would do in your home. We had these um, uh -huh. uh, we had this company actually on our on our program a, a while ago. Eventually, this test, which is a, a box, it's a cartridge, it links to your phone. The phone can therefore yep. link to the link to a doctor. You'll be able to put strep tests in there. You'll put, uh, you know, uh, influenza. You know, basically there'll be a test for everything. And how much was this box? Just curious, because the Illum thing was thirty bucks. I thought that was a lot. It was great. It I, was well done. I, you know what? I, I don't know. Well I, to done. be honest with you, I don't know. I just got a, a test version of it, so I don't know. Right. Um, I, I think that the box is probably going to, I would imagine, cost a couple hundred dollars, and the and I would assume yeah. the tests would have to be. A lot cheaper unless it's unless they so the way pregnancy tests have gone it used to be you went to the doctor killed the rabbit now you have right. pregnancy tests and, but don't you think that that's where all versions. this is going to go I mean I think tele telehealth Hopefully. telemedicine has actually mm -hmm. demonstrably changed even over the past twelve months the next time that you yeah. are even remotely sick but not so sick that you're dying you're going to get on your phone and you're going to you know talk to your doctor or like the equivalent of FaceTime maybe you'll have one of these devices in your home, he'll, he'll, or she or he will tell you, you know, take some test and send me the results and then we'll decide what to do. I think there's going to be a lot of that. And I think we actually it's, are on the cusp of a little bit of it. Now, are we on some like mind blowing change in how medicine and healthcare is going to be paid for and the economics of it all? So you're talking about monitoring because like you have the aura ring and I know you tweeted about it because they're mad that Fitbit's stealing right. some some good bits from them. Um, they have a way about readiness. They've been pushing themselves as you could recognize COVID because of sleep and this and that. Um, but these are these are monitoring things, whether it's the aura right. ring or it's this box. And I agree, like going to get a strep test is a pain in the neck. So you just don't do it, right? Uh, this this experience I just had with getting these PCR tests was was easy because I used curative. Yep. I went to like a booth that was in a high school, but it took days and days. Right. It was ridiculous like that I waited for so long. And in Europe, there was sort of instant. I took the rapid test and I wasn't sure it was, you know, it just was one of these moments. I was like, well, this is a waste of my time. Like for sure, I can be making money doing other things than running around going to little booths in, you know, high schools or churches. But it was better than it was for sure. But this is all monitoring. Like what you're talking about is monitoring and cutting out some of the really ridiculous stuff we do for healthcare. But I think they're talking about the idea of records, uh, the data, able data to sharing, monitor, data sharing, getting tested. Obviously, the pandemic's pushed us into this telehealth thing. It hasn't worked as well, obviously, with education. But where, what do you, where do you see the investment possibilities then beyond monitoring? Well, so like I think there's going to be the monitoring, testing. I think, but I think the whole experience of going to mm -hmm. a doctor is going to yeah. fundamentally change. And therefore, by the way, the records issue, meaning the the, mm -hmm. the healthcare records issue, will have to change because they're going to have to be more accessible. You're going to they, they probably will all of a sudden be mobile, meaning you're going to be able to have them yeah. on your phone, go from one doctor to the next, or go from one doctor to the next sitting inside your own home. I think all of that is coming. It's just taking a, a long, long time, in part because of the fact that so many of these healthcare systems already have either old technology that they're still trying to amortize yeah. or the new technology um, is 
not completely baked yet. I mean, I've talked to doctors. I've talked to doctors over the years about, you know, why aren't you using the Google service or somebody else's service? And, you know, they've customized these platforms to such a such a, a degree. It's like Oracle and database. They're so they're sort of in the database of Epic or whatever they're in, and they're just stuck yep. in there. And you're locked in. So I, I think yeah. that there's going to have to be, um, you know, some transformational work done that effectively gets you to this next place. But I, I don't know. What about we- telehealth, though? Well, tell, tell you know, you 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 use a lot. I've tried a lot of these. There, I've just noticed. Speaking of ads on Instagram, this thing called Fastic, which is another. There's like 20 apps for fasting to monitor right. it rather than doing it yourself on a piece of paper. Um, you know, I tried the the uh, continuous glucose monitor thing, yeah, which was interesting. Most large levels, and and there's several like that. Super Sapiens and others. Um, Again, this is all sort of tech guys trying yep. not to die. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Essentially, and me and Kara. Um, so, what do you? But where? Where would be? What would be the biggest thing that would have to happen? Would it be, the, you know, Amazon getting in here? Like, I would honestly, I would trust them over a Walmart or a CVS. Now, CVS and Walmart just got two new CEOs, two women who are running these companies. Um, what did, where the, is your healthcare going to the, come the, from? The truth is that the challenge at the moment for all, even the monitoring stuff we're talking about is it's too pricey. I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest, yeah. Kara, you and I are like, like one percenters in this, you know, this aura ring here, I think. I still was it like, costs, I think fuck costs this, 300, 300 bucks. If you were, if you're wearing mm-hmm. that, uh, that levels patch, that's mm-hmm. not a cheap product. I mean, if you want to actually no. monitor your glucose, no, a couple hundred it's a couple hundred dollars. Um, all of these things still cost too much. So to me, the real question is, you know, when you can get an aura ring for 30 bucks or something like that, or it gets subsidized by your insurance company because they actually yeah. believe that all of this stuff changes the dynamic. That's the thing I don't know. Meaning we could wear yeah. all of this monitoring stuff and then you have to say, is the monitoring stuff truly a nudge enough to change people's behavior to the point where you're right. seeing demonstrable outcomes. People, people say to me, yeah. oh, you yeah. wear your aura ring. Does it really change your sleep? Well, I always say to people, it doesn't really change your sleep. It changes whether you decide, you look at the data and does the data tell you that you should go to sleep earlier? And is that any different than if you did? Do you? I you actually do. do I have found this you thing you to do. be you're a, a good, huge- You're a good Canadian. I have found this, this monitoring the sleep thing to be a, a major game changer for me because without the data, I would, I honestly would just be tired all the time. And I still am. It's true. When I was wearing this, I stopped eating certain things. I did. And it feel better. Honestly, I do. It was interesting. And it was surprising things. It was never the thing I thought. It was like something weird. And I was like, oh, I see what's going on. But can I throw one? Let me ask you a Can I ask you a healthcare question? Sure. I would say pre-pandemic, the pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. industry was hated. Hated, right? Mm -hmm. Do we love the pharmaceutical industry now? Do we love Pfizer now? Do we love Moderna? No. Or do it's we hate Pfizer and Moderna? I was just going to ask you that. I think it's interesting to watch. So if you notice certain VCs on Twitter, like, follow the money. They're, they're moving into the conspiracy theory world. Right. You know, this idea of, of them trying to benefit and the way we're doing testing helps them and the way we're doing uh, vaccines helps them. You know, the, the more we're sick or the more we feel we're sick or in fear, there's a lot of that yep. online. I don't know if you've noticed uh, Totally. That. At the same time, remarkable what's going, what's happened, you know, and, and I, I credit the more innovative companies like BioNTech and others who have been, by the way, working on a lot of this stuff for a decade, yep. right? It's not like it's, one of the things I was arguing with one of my relatives was, 
this is new. This is fresh. I'm like, this has been worked on for a decade. Like, come on. Like, this, there's, it's just they're just moving it out quicker for something else. So I think it's both. I think you sort of are sort of appreciative of how quickly this rolled out. And at the same time, the resistance. That's the last question I was going to ask you. If you're talking about all this monitoring and everything else, people won't take a friggin' vaccine. Like, honestly, did you? there was a fireman yep. from San Francisco who I literally want to go find and punch in the face, except he'd kill me. Um, but it was, it was, it's just amazing to watch. They're not going to be willing to be vaccinated because they think they're being monitored. They're certainly not going to be willing to be monitored on other Okay, sense. so I go back to follow the money in the same, in the okay. opposite way of the, 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 what the venture capitalists, the skeptical venture capitalists online may be saying or conspiracy theorists. Right. I think if there are incentives um, by either insurance companies, employers or others to wear either monitoring devices or other things because they believe that the, that having those devices on actually changes people's behavior and makes them healthier. I think people are going to do it. So Delta Airlines mm. just announced yeah. that their employees, if you are not vaccinated, they're not saying you have to be vaccinated. They're saying it'll cost you if you're not vaccinated. It's going to cost you $200 yeah. a month if you're not vaccinated. Yeah. I think you're going to start yeah. to see nudges like that around all sorts of versions of you health. You know, I like a stick. I, mother people, I was arguing with someone who was here. The, they like the carrot method. Like, let's give them this. I'm like, you know what? No, you don't get to come to the, the concert. You don't get to come. You don't get to, just like with everything else. You don't have your polio vaccine. You don't get to come. Like, that. I, I'm with, I'm one of those parents. Like, no, thank you. I don't know. I don't, I don't like incentives. I think it just is like, I think the only thing, and I get that people get angry about it, but it sort of, it reminds me a lot of sort of, you don't get to drunk drive. You just don't. Unless we get autonomous cars, you don't get to drunk drive. And you get, you pay the price for that. And other people do too. And so I just, I worry about a lot of these things. I think they're all, this monitoring is all good for people, but they will resist it because they feel they're being monitored and they have good reason not to trust the Googles right. and the, even the Apples of the world. Fair enough. By the, anyway, we'll see. You have to tell me this. What? When are we going to have autonomous cars? I know, I know it's on a tangent, but I just want to know. Not today. I want to know. Not today. Not today? Not today. What about 2030? Not tomorrow. I'll ask Elon. He's coming to code. We'll okay. ask. You should come out and ask him yourself. Um, soonish, soonish, notish. Who knows? Not for a while. Okay. All right, Andrew. One more quick break, and we'll be back for predictions. Okay, Andrew. As you know, every week we I demand a prediction from Scott and other guest hosts. So I would like your prediction, please. My prediction is. That by, let's call it October, the mm -hmm. Federal Reserve really is going to uh, pull back on the punch bowl. And we are going to see the combination of the pulling back of the punch bowl by the Federal Reserve and the pulling of stimulus checks and uh, unemployment checks and all of that actually start to show itself for the first time. And it's mm, going to get a little dicey in October. People think that. I've been reading a lot of these newsletters that are saying this October. It's not going to be a good time for Skulls. I, th you know, what, what newsletters are you reading these days? Hopefully, there's Bill. I'm reading a lot of the Puck ones. What a, like there's them. one. There's a good one called Deal Book. There's a there's a good one. Yeah, there's Deal Book. I read you. Of course, I read you. That I heard but here's about. Why. Let me ask a question. So, the pulling of <laughs> stimulus checks and you, what, the punch bowl. Explain what this punch bowl. They've been doing this thing, and it has a letters. What's it called? QE, whatever. QE infinity, uh, quantitative using infinity. We we are basically <laughs> yes. giving, we're printing money like it's going out of style. Yeah, explain that for regular people. I can't, I always forget it. The I, I mean, the best it. way I, to I explain what's happening right now is that for uh, 
many, many years now, we have continued to uh, print money and lower interest rates to next to nothing so that basically money yeah. becomes free. If you go get a mortgage yeah. today, it, it's- uh, I know, I just got one. Tiny, I mean, it's so great. It's so great for you. Fantastic. I hope you- Fantastic. I know. Capture a 30-year fixed mortgage because who knows what they're going to be do. then. And so- That's right. You know, at some point, uh, they're going to pull the punch bowl away from the party and say, no, 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 when? we're going to increase October. interest rates. Uh, there's so Jerome Powell's been a punch bowl spiker, in other words? Oh, absolutely. Is he going to be replaced? Let me f- push you on this prediction. He will not he be, replaced. be replaced. He, he, oh, I wow. will, I'm very confident he will not be replaced. You can call me on it I've heard. when he does. All right. Why? Why? Tell me why. Because lots of people think they're going to pick, they name some other people. Because ultimately he's done a a pretty great job. I think you have Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, who likes him, thinks he's done a good job, thinks the market trusts him. The markets trust Mm -hmm. him. And there is this sort of strange dynamic between the markets and the economy. And if the markets don't trust you, I think that's that that's a dangerous place to be too. So I I think oh. there's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Even if they're going to pull the punch bowl. And, um, Even if he's pulling the punch. And the stimulus checks, I agree with you. It's really interesting to see what will happen with people going back to work. Everywhere you go for hire, for hire, for hire. And then by the way, throw in, throw in where we are in the pandemic. And there are, mm-hmm. you know, lots of restaurants. I think they're, they may struggle this winter because people are not going to want to eat indoors. Catering companies that were planning to do indoor weddings or yeah, conferences yeah. or events or all sorts of things that aren't going to get the business. So I think there's going to it's going to be a little bit more challenging than it, than it has been. All right. All right. That's an excellent prediction. All right. Two, you had two there. You have uh, Powell is staying in and uh, get careful for, for October. I'm so glad I got my mortgage. Anyway, Thank you so much, Andrew. As usual, you've been excellent and you win the whole war award. No, you don't. I got the job. <laughs> I got the job. Yeah, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe you will. Who okay. knows? Who's, if, if Scott doesn't behave, that could be a possibility. Anyway, don't forget if there is a story in the news and you're curious about and want to hear our opinion on, go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show. Andrew, please read us out. Today's show is produced by Lara Naiman, Caroline Shagrin, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Endredot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We're back next week with another breakdown of all things tech and business.